0: This is three women and a bottle of wine, three friends, three former TV reporters, and one bottle of wine delving into whatever interests us. News, not news. What affects our lives? Because it's probably affecting yours too. I'm Kim Insley. I'm Lynn Melling.
1: And I'm Julie Barkey. And now on with the pod.
0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for a very compelling segment on turning personal tragedy into a triumphant movement. I'm Lynn Melling. I'm Kim Inslee. So a question that no parent wants to even consider, what would you do? How would you handle it if you lost a child? It happens to far too many Minnesota parents every year.
1: Laura Zobiak is one of those parents, and her son, Zach, created what is called by many a magical movement before his death in 2013. I'm Julie Barkey, and Laura is here to shine his light and her own in this Three Women and a Bottle of Wine.
0: So, Laura, a lot of people know your son's story, Zach. Um, We all worked in the news business, and that's pretty much where we were introduced to Zach. He was 18, I believe, when he died from cancer. And before we get too deep into things, I just want you to set the stage and tell us a little bit about Zach and also your family. You have an amazing family, four children. Thank you. Yeah, Zach was just one of
2: those really he was an easy kid to raise. He was fun. He was just, he was a sweetheart, but he also had a very mischievous side too. So he had that going for him. Um, so he's the third of our four children and we just had, you know, one of the remarkable things about our story is that we are just so very average, you know, like there's nothing special about us. We don't have any real like Stars in our family, <laughs> no star athletes or anything like that. We're just kind of an average family. And when Zach was 14 years old, so he had just wrapped up eighth grade at St. Croix Catholic in Stillwater, and he was preparing to um, join the ninth grade at the Stillwater Junior High. And it was that summer in between, and he was um, he had been on the basketball team at St. Croix Catholic. He wanted to try out at the junior high, and He'd been lazing about all summer, that summer. And at the end of the summer, I was like, you better get out there and start exercising. So he went for a run with his sister, Allie, his oldest sister. And they came back. And this was like August of 2009. They came back from that run. And he, he said, you know, Mom, my hip is really hurting. And I was like, yeah, of course it is. You've been laying around all summer. So, you know, of course it's going to be hurting. And mm-hmm. um, it didn't get better. It got worse. And so we ended up going to the doctor, and this is a very typical story for um, an osteosarcoma di- diagnosis because it is such a rare disease it's not something doctors are typically looking for so he ended up going to um, therapy physical therapy for a couple of months and then um, in November of two thousand and thirteen or i'm sorry two thousand and nine he was diagnosed with osteosarcoma at the end of that month and it just it blindsided us we don't have a lot of cancer in the family, you know, so it was one of those things. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: I remember, you know, as, as mothers, we sometimes think about all the things that can harm our kids Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and how to protect them. And I remember actually thinking, well, at least I don't have to worry about cancer, Mm -hmm. you know, because we don't have cancer in our family really. And here, this perfectly healthy 14 year old, six foot one inch son of mine, healthy as a horse has bone cancer. And so it just, I mean, it really knocked us, knocked us back. And it was, I think really just our community, our family, our, our immediate family, but also our extended family and just like our faith community and our faith that really kept us going. And, and I think upright through the whole thing. And of course our medical community. Oh my gosh, we are so incredibly blessed to live in this state with the amazing medical um, Staff and hospitals that we have here. So, so yeah, in a nutshell, that's how things started for us. And then it just got crazy. I mean, you just kept relapsing, and we'd, you know, it was like getting shoved by a bully. Every time you go to scans, it's, you know, you, you set yourself up for, okay, what is, what's going to show up? And every time it's like you get shoved back down when that dang cancer shows back up, then until the last year of his life when we found out it had spread to his lungs and also his his whole pelvis was involved and um and that was hard you know that was a tough summer for Zach uh, for all of us because it's really something when your 17 year old has to figure out how to die and as a parent that is one of the scariest places you can be Because as a parent, we just kind of rely on our own experience to help guide our kids through. And then all of a sudden, this kid is beyond your experience. You know, Mm -hmm. how do you tell a kid how to die? What do you say that doesn't sound trite Mm -hmm. and, you know, too simple? What did you tell them? How did you you work through this? So that's actually the first chapter of my book, uh, Fly a Little Higher. I, I started there because it was such a, such a moment, you know, such a huge moment in my life as a mother. And that's what the book is about is sort of my mother's perspective on what that was like. Um, But I think it was a big moment for Zach too, because it was, you know, it was like around the first week of his um, first, it was the first week of his senior year. And so he knew he was dying at this point and, Mm -hmm. and it was, high school was such a shelter for Zach because all through high school, he was battling cancer, but school itself was, was a shelter for him from that because it was normal. Uh You know, that's where all of his friends were. That's where normal teenage life is lived is in school until senior year because he knew he was dying. He went back to school and it's senior year and all the other kids, you know, they're focused on college and future stuff. So, it was vastly different in that regard. And so it really threw him. It turned out not to be the shelter for him that he really needed it to be. And so he came home from school that first day, and I could tell it was bad. I mean, I could see him pull in the driveway and get out of the car. And he was normally a kid who could, when he was knocked down, it would take him a few beats, and then he would be back up. And I wasn't so so sure he was going to be able to do it this time. And He walked in the door and he just dissolved into tears and he said you know our first assignment for English class was to write an essay for college and I'm not going to be going to college like what do I do with that his teacher
0: didn't have that on their radar I don't know I don't know what happened there and I don't necessarily
2: blame her I mean it was just that was part of what they did that first you know Mm -hmm. few weeks of school but it provided him the opportunity to really sit down and think, okay, what am I going to do with this time? How am I going to do this? And and so what I said, and so how I dealt with it, I got really good at screaming prayers in my head. And I would just, that's how I would do it. It was just scream in my head, like, I need words and I need them now. And somehow it always worked. And that particular instance we talked about, Okay, Zach. You go to Stillwater High School. You have I don't know 800 kids in your class. The chances of one of those kids dying in the next year or the next two years is pretty good. But that kid doesn't know he's he's dying. You do. So what do you do with that? And it helps kind of level things out for him. Like, oh yeah, you know what? We all are. None of us knows how much time we have. And so it helped him sort of shift his thinking. And I think it helped him realize that his friends who felt like they were leaving him behind because they were now focused on the future that he didn't have. I think it kind of helped flip that thinking to know you're actually ahead of them. You actually get it. You know, what's really going on here is that we just have such a limited time. Um, And you get to take advantage of that. You don't have to worry about all the stuff that all these other kids have to worry about. You know, this, long future that they have to prepare for, always chasing something that's going to happen tomorrow. You get to focus on today. You know, it, it wasn't like you just snapped out of it. It took a lot of that kind of talking through it Mm -hmm. to get through it. But I think that's one of the things about our family too, that we really embraced was we didn't talk about dying all the time, but you have to let that conversation flow when it needs to. And you don't shy away from it, so we we communicated we did it really poorly a lot of times mm-hmm. there was you know there was fighting, there were tears,
0: all of that stuff happened, but we decided it was important, and we we did it and so it's now been seven years since mm-hmm. he died. Um, just listening to your story here, I think I can speak for all mothers and saying that this is our greatest fear, but you survived it. Um you talk about flipping, you know, he was able to flip his perspective. I imagine you were able, you did the same. Um how was it that you were able to get through that?
2: Yeah, I think um again, we have just such an amazing support system and that really is meaningful um, because you have people who are walking alongside you and that's an important thing. I think We learned each of us did this differently. So we each approached how we processed differently. But I think we all learned how to really embrace living in this space. There's a very, very thin space of time that we call the present. Hmm. And I think, especially in our culture, we're very not focused on the present. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: You know, we're either kind Mm -hmm. of numbing out or we're focused on preparing for a. Different future, or we're regretting a past, you know. So, so we really lose that, and we really got good at learning how to find joy in the space where we are right now
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and learning not to allow the really scary future to rob us of that. Um, So, we got good at that, and we got good at talking. And again, I mean, just faith was huge. Um, faith allowed us to see some kind of meaning in all of this and to not think that this was it, you know, like Zach doesn't just end Mm -hmm. when he dies. Mm -hmm. It allows me as a mother to, like, I'm still his mom. I still talk Mm -hmm. to him all the time. Mm -hmm. I still see him in different ways. So he's still very, very present. And that speaks Mm -hmm. to love, you know, love, love does not end. It in fact grows. Mm -hmm. I love Zach more now than I did when he was alive, you know, so that that's real, that happens. Um, But that's not to say that I don't have really hard days. I do, I mean, there's days where I just miss him so bad. And like this evening, all three of my other kids were here for kind of an impromptu dinner. And there's a very like I love hearing my kids now that they're all adults, you know, laughing um, around the dinner table, talking, and seeing them relate that way. But there's also a huge heartache in those moments for me too, because that's when I think, oh, wouldn't it be cool if Zach was here too? He would love this, you know. What would that sound like? And you know, mm-hmm. so it's just you learn. I think when you go through stuff like this, and we all do. You learn that sadness and joy go together. Mm -hmm. You live them simultaneously. You don't, you're not just sad and you're not just joyful. They mix and that's okay. And that's the thing I think that I, I really learned is it's okay. You know, like Zach really taught me that. He taught me that being sick isn't the same as being dead. Like you can thrive while being sick. You can do meaningful things. You can have a great life and be sick. And I found that amazing and fascinating. And he really allowed me to enter into that part of my life. Like life doesn't have to be perfect. And it can in fact be really hard and still you can embrace it and love it.
1: Well, I think I can speak for all three of us women when I say that you're very amazing and exceptionally inspiring. And Laura, you wrote a book, Fly a Little Higher. Zach's story is now a movie. Disney Plus is going to be streaming it. Did you ever think that his story and your story could just generate this? What was the the motivation behind Mm. sharing it with the world? That's a great question. It's so
2: funny because there were, you know, there were... No, I never thought that I would write a book. That sounded really scary. And just like who gets the opportunity to do that, right? It's so hard to get a book published. But as we were kind of living this whole thing, experiencing it, Sammy Brown, Zach's best friend and his partner in songwriting, Mm -hmm. her mother, Anne, and I are really good friends. And, you know, there were a lot of times where we'd just stand back and be like, oh, my gosh, this thing should be, this should be a movie. You know, so we were always kind of thinking, oh man, you know, we're in the middle of this amazing thing. So there was always an element of that. But all of these things that have lined up for the story sharing have just been really quite miraculous. I mean, just one thing has led to another and it's just been an amazing ride. The reason that we decided to share it in the first place, there was a moment where Zach had written Clouds. Um, We shared it with KS95 and it started to take off and then CNN called. And that was really the moment when our family had to decide like, okay, what are we doing here? What's the purpose behind this? If it's just for glorifying Zach and elevating him, then we're not super interested in that. And as a family, we discussed this, but if our purpose is to, to leverage that story, to draw attention to the disease and the lack of research and and that kind of thing that made sense to us. Mm -hmm. So that was our, our mission. That's what we were using the story for. And it's been very successful. We raised, um, we're at, I think it's $2.2 million now for osteosarcoma research, which is incredible. Yeah. But what ended up happening, so that's definitely still a, very big part of our mission it's our you know driving force but what ended up happening was in the various forms that the story was shared I've heard from so many people across our country but also all over the world Mm -hmm. who've heard Zach's story and are just so deeply changed which has blown me away I still really can't wrap my head around it I still to this day Mm -hmm. hear from people who There's a My Last Days um, documentary. That's the name of the series, My Last Days. Um, There's two of them out there about our family. And a lot of people have been very moved by that.
0: I wanted to ask Um, you about that a little bit. Um, I I, I watched it and I was um, so touched by the closeness and the love that your family shared and how hard that must have been to have his siblings. I mean, these were Zach's last days. I wanted to ask you, and you touched on it, um, the legacy that Zach has left to your family and to the community. I know you work at Children's Cancer Research Fund, um, and the Zach Sobiak Osteosarcoma Fund, as you just mentioned, has raised so much money to help with this disease. It wasn't getting a lot of light shed on it. There's so much more. You know, how would you sum up Zach's ongoing, ongoing influence on people?
2: So that's the really weird part for me. I mean, if you think about your own children, and I don't know, we're just so average. You know, mm-hmm. like we really—I thought you were all pretty special. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I saw that. I
2: we the, they did a really good job of presenting us. Let's put it that way.
0: Um, the fights were left no, out. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, right, right, exactly. Actually, that was one of my motivating factors in writing the book. Is like I wanted people to kind of see that part too, the hard part, because that's the thing that I, I'm really, um, that's the part that brings me hope is that we are broken people. We, we struggle with the same things that everybody else does, but somehow our, our story still changed people and touched people. And so that's, that, that brings me a lot of hope. Some have referred to it as almost like a movement, like a clouds movement. Just this, I, it's, it is really hard for me to wrap my head around it. it. People, so who I hear from are people who, I hear from a lot of, of young people who connect with Zach. It might be the first time they are thinking about their own, their own mortality and, and the value of their life. Um, so young people, but not just young people. I mean, it's it's people of all ages, demographics, all different kinds of backgrounds. So I've heard from people who have been in the military really struggling with PTSD and depression. Heard from one guy early on after Zach passed away who, who told me that he had prepared to kill himself that day. And then he heard Zach's story wow. and decided wow. not to. Like, that's a big deal. And so it's really... Yeah. You know, that's like a fire hose coming at you emotionally. Yeah. Um, he's not the only one. Like I hear from people like that often. Um, people who use the phrase, he changed my life. Another huge statement and hard for me as Zach's mom to, to understand that impact because I'm so in it, you know, and it's hard mm-hmm. for me to see it from the outside, but but I was changed. So I get it. Like I get how they end up there um so that's a big deal and that's a, that was one of the motivating factors too behind okay let's let's see what can happen with a movie um and justin baldoni is the one that did the my Lesties documentaries he directed them and, and produced them and he was the director on the movie as well so the beauty there is is that he actually knew zach he um and he was one of the first to say that Zach changed his life, he dramatically changed his life after he left our home, and um, and now we're here, you know, mm. with Disney Plus being the the service that's going to stream it, and like they're all in and they love the story, and it's
0: it's been quite a ride. Well, Laura, thank you so much. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, our final flight. Three Women and a Bottle of Wine is supported by 515 Productions. 515 Productions is a video production business with base camps in Minneapolis and Des Moines, Iowa. Ian and his crew understand the art of creative storytelling, and they know how to make video look fantastic. Learn more at 515productions.com. Our logo was created by Leah Desaltz, a creativity guru, offering art workshops to everyone from business executives to book clubs because we all have untapped creative potential just waiting to be unleashed. You can find her contact information on our website.
1: You can stay up to date on our podcast by checking out our website, Three Women and a Bottle of You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you'll find behind the scenes photos and, of course, much, much more. Be sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back and we have a very special guest, Laura Sobiak. She's the author, mother of four, including Zach, who passed away from bone cancer several years ago. Hey, Laura, this is our chance to get to know you just a little bit better And it's a little lighter, and I think ending on a light note would be lovely. And I read in your bio, and I just think that this is so absurd, I had to ask you. You love to vacuum. So first of (laughs) all, come over to my house anytime. It needs it badly. (laughs) (laughs) And second of all, what is it about vacuuming that you like?
2: (laughs) I know. I know. It's weird. And my family just is like, Mom, seriously, you're crazy. I don't know. It's my thinking time, and I love the fact that when I'm done, there are these beautiful lines in the Yes. and it just brings me so much peace. I,
0: I, I hear you. I love to vacuum. It's like, it's mindless. Yes. You can just, it's you're physical. the guy with the perfect lawn. Aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and then you have something yeah. to show for it at the end of it. It's True that. Right.
2: No <laughs> skill, no skill involved.
0: All right. Well, there and must just... be something else the, Our second question then. What else do you like to do to relax? Do I, I do get the Zen thing. I do. Yeah. Oh, things I like to do. So I um, I have to be
2: honest, like I'm thriving during this whole quarantine thing because mm. I, I think one of the big things that changed for me after Zach passed away and just going through all that, I used to be more of an extrovert. Now I'm a little bit more of an introvert. I love being in my own headspace, you know, and just thinking mm. through the big things in life. So we have a beautiful backyard and patio. I love to sit out there and just think on life. Um, I start my day every morning with about an hour and a half of just meditation and prayer. And that is like my sacred, sacred space. And I just love, I love that time of day. So that brings me peace. And I have two grandbabies now. Allie, my oldest daughter has um, almost five-year-old Finnegan and then almost two-year-old uh, Francis, he goes by Frankie and they bring us so much joy. You guys, these kids are so cute. Oh. I love them so much. <laughs> oh, they're so much fun. Oh. So I just have so much, so much joy in my life that I'm so grateful for for every moment of
0: it. So last question, if you could have dinner with anyone, who would sit at the table with you? Oh my gosh. This was such a hard
2: question because I am not a very creative person, so like I don't know. But I would love to just hang out with Jimmy Fallon. Mm. Like I love Jimmy Fallon because mm. I think he's just so fun and funny and I down to earth and I think he'd just be a blast. I love John Steinbeck is my favorite author. So I would mm. love to just sit down with him. And then Saint Teresa Vavala is my favorite saint because she was super spicy. Like I wanna talk to somebody like that who's gonna, you know, like has things more together spiritually than me probably, but can just say it like it is. Like those are my people. Yeah. Yes, that's the space
1: I move in. So those yeah. Those would be my people. Those are great people. I completely expected you to say us, Kim, Lynn, and I would
0: love. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, I, right. I, I've
0: gotten this time, yeah. <laughs> um, before we wine, go out, I'm not sure we touched time. on it. We don't know yet when the movie's coming out, correct? Well, we don't
2: know for sure. But last I heard, um, they're thinking mid-October. So we know it's going to be fall, maybe late fall. And the last I heard was, yeah, looks like maybe mid-October.
0: So And your mm-hmm. book we can get now?
2: Yep. It's it's out there. It's on Amazon. Fly a little higher. There's going to be a movie edition coming out. So I've extended mm-hmm. the epilogue to include all the stuff that's happened those last seven years, which has been really something. I see Zach all over the place. And so I talk about some of that and then how the movie got made
1: and, and that fun stuff too. Oh, what a great way to end this conversation. Yeah. Laura, you are just a wonderful, wonderful woman to talk with and we can't thank you enough for joining us.
2: Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I, I get to talk about Zach all the time and I love it. So thank you for letting me do that again. Oh, thank Thanks. you for sharing Thanks. his story with us. Take care. Thanks, ladies. It was lovely.